Hello and welcome to Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 54. I'm your host, Brian. I have three testicles. Joining me this evening from the League of Fabulous Tombstones, Kimberly. Here lies Kimberly. She still doesn't have a good answer. And always Mac. Here lies Sean. Contains no natural ingredients. And Ian. Keep it down up there. I'm trying to get some rest. <laughs> How is everybody doing this evening? On that dour we... note. <laughs> we're doing somber. Somber? No, we're doing all right. Good. We, uh, we've got a little bit of feedback, um, from Dumbass on our last show. Um, he, he does not, uh, he, he thinks that the, uh, the idea that these technologies were inspired by sci-fi is a little fallacious. Well, his, his point about the two-way wrist radio on Dick Tracy was actually yeah. a pretty, pretty darn good point. Because that way predated Star Trek. Yeah. And I just think that, uh, that a lot of the people who were making these technologies had said that that's where they got their inspiration. But I don't have any, I don't have that in front of me, and so then maybe that doesn't actually exist. So no, yeah. it actually does. I I've heard does. Myself. Yeah, I've heard it too, but, so. but I think it, only it, the flip phone, cell phone is inspired by the communicator. Yeah, the maybe. technology itself may have been headed that way, but the inspiration for people to really go out and develop them to that was, you know, due to stuff like Star Trek. Would it have gotten there without Star Trek? Yes, but by having the ideas presented in sci-fi. People looked up and said, "Hey, I want let's let's do that. Let's make it." And more than likely, accelerated them coming into um, creation. Well, so, all I have to say is, dumbass isn't going to take this away from me. Not this time. <laughs> I'm standing up. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, yeah, he makes a good point. All right, announcements. Announcements. Okay, we got a couple coming up. Um, Denver Museum of Nature and Science has Uncharted Waters, tale to Tales Told with Science and Songs. That's on Friday the 9th. On Sunday the 11th, uh, we've got Eudaimonia is having another one. We just had one like a week or two ago, and so this is kind of fast. But this one's going to be about the Great Wall of Fear. I know Eric uh, Muir, who's been on the show before, has a big thing about conquering fear as a necessary requirement to leading a good life. Those are always fun. Um, also on Sunday is the Humanists of Colorado monthly meeting. On Saturday the 17th, um, not really sponsored by IIG, but some of the members will be at the Metaphysical Fair. Um, yes. And we talked last time, I think, about oh, making it a full hold day. On. Hold on a minute, Kimberly. Not really sponsored by IIG? So kind of sponsored by them or just not <laughs> sponsored by them at all? <laughs> the organization of skeptics going to the medical physical fair is kind of an IIG thing. It's not an official uh, oh, event. Here's the thing: is that the and people doing okay. it without us, the the people that scheduled it are um, are Misty and myself, and we are both members of the IIG, and we are both members of the Mile High uh, Mile High Skeptics. So okay, and you are paying to get in there, so technically you are kind of helping the sponsor. Well, yeah, but IIG that's not going to come out of IIG funds. You got to pay for and yourself, and it's right before our next podcast. Yes. So chances are we will get a report about that in the next podcast. Yeah, because we hate to talk about what we're out doing. So <laughs> anyway, better you're physical fair. If you're in town, it's a fun time to go with a bunch of skeptics. Yep. On Thursday, March twentieth, at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, is a presentation on digging snow mastodon. 
Um, and the snowmass stuff is, is pretty fascinating. Should be good. And then on Friday the 23rd, Tornado Alley with Sean Casey. It's an IMAX film, um, with presenters from the people who actually made the film. So that sounds good too. And that's all I've got for announcements for right now. All right. So on to Right to Die. Tell me about it, Mac. Well, um, what originally sponsored, what originally inspired this was, uh, we got talking about, uh, right after Christopher Hitchens died, we got talking about, uh, Terry Pratchett and the fact that Terry Pratchett has Alzheimer's, a rare form of Alzheimer's disease. And he has essentially decided that he doesn't want to be here when he's not him anymore. He doesn't want to linger around and essentially well, they call Alzheimer's the long goodbye. Um, so we got started talking about that, and we started pulling up uh, pulling up information about it, and thought it'd make a really good discussion. So, um, what what are we talking about when we talk about the right to die? Then when we talk about the right to die. We talk about essentially a person's a, the person's right, and there's debate as to whether this right exactly actually exists or not. Some states allow for assisted assisted or dignified death some states do not most states do not three states allow for it oregon and two others but what we're talking about here is essentially the person's choice to make the time to choose the time to end their own life whether for the reason of illness or you know simply because it's simply because their life is not live worth living any longer so then outline for me the um, top three reasons people would choose assisted suicide: uh, painful, lingering illness, which is which there's no recovery from a terminal terminal illness, but something that uh, something that there is something that there's not really much in terms of treatment for, and there's not really any pain relief either. Um, another another issue, and this is brought up by the Terry Shivo case, is. A person in a consistent, uh, a persistent vegetated state, and they're not there anymore. But some people think they are. Some people think they're not. I'm uh, gonna. Uh, okay, go ahead. What else? Well, and this is not really something you would need assisted suicide for. But there are people who take their lives just simply because their lives have become intolerable. Um, when I was talking about this with my wife, she said, "Okay, what are you going to tell the 17-year-old?" 17-year-old kid who is beaten up at school every day and wants to take his own life. And I said, well, I, I guess I'd want to tell him that it gets better after high school. And she says, well, it's too late because the 17-year-old I'm talking about was in the news. He, he took his own life. Well, that's okay. the thing. There's something well, different within the concept. Maybe we should take him one at a time. Well, that's that's kind of what I want to do. But I, I'm going to suggest to you that pain is, is not as big a factor as a as is suggested, and uh, and studies coming out of the Netherlands show that that uh, pain is uh, maybe in the cases where people have chosen this, um, that it comes up maybe thirty percent of the time. That there are other reasons that are are bigger factors for this. Okay. So, um, Ian, go ahead and uh, go ahead and outline those issues one at a time for me. So basically, which which one do you want to start talking about, Sean? Let's start with oh. that. Which do you think we should start? Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and start talking about terminal terminal illness, okay. uh, pain or pain or not. Let's talk about terminal illness, though. Okay. Well, well actually, um, I'll give a, my take on that completely because back in high school for a few months, 
I worked at the cafeteria in a nursing home. There were people dragged in there every day who were basically, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but the look on their face was they were in constant terror. They didn't seem to have any grasp of what was going on to them. They looked like they needed a release. They looked like they wanted to get out of that torture that they were going through. Yet, here they were day after day being forced to be trapped in their bodies. And you could see it. I mean, these were people, there was no expression besides horror on their face. And I, I, I can't imagine being stuck, having to live when you were curled up, not able to move a, any inch of your own body. You know, you looked at them. Their bodies were basically stuck in a, the fetal position. 100% time. Someone else had to feed them, obviously take care of all the other needs. And that is torture. I, I can't picture any greater torture than that. So definitely in regards to terminal illness where you are trapped in your own body, um, I not only should it be a right, but it should be something guaranteed. <laughs> so you know, that, that actually, uh, you know, you, I, I kind of had night, have nightmares about possibly ending up like that because there's no way. I could see anyone ever desiring to be in that position. Okay. So we're talking about essentially what? What are we about? Fatal illnesses, you know, cancer and... Uh, we're talking about failed illnesses. We're also talking about people who's, whose lives are not tolerable to them in their current condition. One of the articles we put in here is about an artist who, after consulting people, essentially made the decision she was uh, quadriplegic due to a neck fracture uh, received while diving into a shallow swimming pool. Um, and she made the decision to end her own life by essentially by starving herself to death. Yeah, then I think that's a it's a very rough way to go. I would think so too, but I was wondering if I'm thinking if she was quadriplegic, she probably didn't have any the hunger feeling. She probably did not have. So, and well, that's one of the things with a lot of this is. Um, you know, we don't quite know some of the physical stuff. We can only estimate. I mean, even the stuff I just said about how, you know, I looked at their face and saw the, what to me was horror. I admit, I don't know. I can't get into their mind. I, I'm just looking at what they were and how, you know, to me they had to feel. So a lot of this is your personal projection. So, you know, looking at trying to think, analyzing, did they suffer? Well, more than likely if she let herself starve to death, there was a level of suffering that she felt was worse than whatever she went through with starving, no matter how painful that might have been or might not have been for her. Right. Obviously, in her mind, she could handle the starving to death, the suffering through all that. Um, so, in, in a little bit here, one of these, I'll actually talk about my grandfather. Yeah, because you have some personal um, associations yeah. with this. He, he wasn't actually terminal at the time. There's a lot of stuff revolving around it, but that, that is actually something I'll bring up later. But well, he... You know, the same kind of thing. He, it was allowed for him to, um, you know, die. And, you know, he, I guess I'm talking about now. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Because was it, uh, was it depression related at all? There was definitely some, he had suffered through depression. And he had gotten old enough that, um, you know, he couldn't drive anymore. His life wasn't in his hands and he was getting worse. And it was a cycle. It was actually a really bad cycle where he let himself almost die and they couldn't let, you know, they had to take the doctors and get him better and then he'd, you know, get better for a little while. And we're talking, he was, you know, a healthy man. He, bigger than me and stuff, you know, really, really fit. And, you know, the last few times I saw him, he was bone thin. You know, he, he really was letting himself go and he wanted to die. We all knew that. The whole family knew that. 
But, you know, certain things about the way our society is set up, we couldn't just let it happen. We weren't allowed to. So it finally got well, to now, a point. Uh, were there, were there family members who actually wanted to support him in this? Or, I mean, I realized you probably were, you probably wanted to, were one supporting him in this, but, yeah, I mean, no, were there uh, family members who were going the opposite direction and they were saying, no, we can't, we can't live without you? Um, we get the impression some of the more, the, the, me, my mother, my grandmother, the ones who, you know, were really right there and actually had the say, all were like, yes, let's let it happen. In the aftermath of what I got from my mother, some of the other family members were actually upset that um, things went that way. But they weren't out here dealing with, they weren't right there, you know, knowing what was going on, being having to put up with the stress of it all. Right. Now, one thing I actually liked about the way it went, I was able to sit down and talk to my grandfather and, ha you know, basically have closure. I, I very much feel that that was one healthy thing. Give me a moment. But basically, when we had talked about going into the state final stages, I was able to sit down and talk with him and just have a pleasant afternoon. And so that's kind of how I got to end it. It wasn't sudden. It wasn't, you know, oh, my God, you know, I wasn't able to tell him all this stuff. So, you know, in some ways, planning it out that way, um, I think it can be healthy for people because you get the close, you get to make sure, you know, whatever it is that you've never felt you got to deal with, you have a chance to. And, you know, I've known friends and stuff that, you know, just suddenly died and, you didn't get that closure. You didn't get to be at peace with where you are with that person. So there's definitely, you know, in something where you can plan it out like that, or you know, you know, okay, he ha he's we're going to start the cycle, and he should be have only so much time left. You really can, you know. I, I mean, he was conscious. It wasn't like I was watching him in a coma and you know anything like that. I got to be face to face with him and you know have an honest talk with him, and that actually is very valuable. So, you know, I, I, we knew what was happening. We had all accepted it and we were ready for it. And, you know, what they did was it was a slow process because they couldn't just let him starve himself to death. And he went on ice chips for a while. And, you know, that's really all his diet consists of. And the end there is ice chips. And they had people um, apparently out there at um, their apartment, you know, taking care of him and monitoring him and, you know, doing what had to be done. Because however it works, there are, is a, you know, legal way you have to do it out here in Colorado. I don't know how other states do it. But when they get to the point where they can allow it, you know, they can't just kill him. They have to let him die through a process. And that's what he went through. And in the end, you know, we miss him and we felt for him. But I, I think the family in general got the closure they needed. And for him, it definitely, I think, was the best thing for him because he was not happy with where things were. He was, you know, he didn't like being that old. He was, I think, around 90 or so. So he had lived a full life. So obviously, you know, my point of view and my family, we very much believe in this. And, you know, we can't even call us hypocrites. We've lived through it. You know, we've done it. And, you know, we're not just speaking about it. We, you know, this is the philosophy we live by. And me, my wife, my parents, we've talked about it and we've all agreed the same thing. You know, it, do not resuscitate. You know, if we're going comatose, don't trap us in our bodies. Let us die because, you know, we really do believe in that. And it, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, even my mom almost died. We had to think about that. Luckily, you know, she survived. I remember the accident. I remember the accident. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that was about 14 years ago. And, you know, we had to face that. Luckily, you know, we didn't get to that point. She never was, you know, she recovered well enough. But I do remember at that point, you know, we talked about as a family. It's like, okay, you know, 
it was a possibility then. So I've dealt with it several times now myself. So do you feel that the, it was more humane to do it this way? Yes. Oh, very much. All right. Yeah. said, com- comparing right. what grandfather went through to what I saw at the nursing home, I said, I would not wish anyone to have to go through what I saw at that nursing home. And so Brian, you I definitely you. think he got Brian, off. you mentioned seat. depression as a factor. Well, yeah. Um, are, are you ready to move on, Ian? I'm sorry. I don't want to rush you. Oh, yeah, no, we can move on. Okay. I, I, I got it out there. Okay, good. I, I, cause, uh, yeah, because I do want to move on um, because one of the other things that came up in my reading was depression as a reason and uh, a very contentious reason. And, and people had very different opinions on whether depression was a reasonable reason for suicide. So if you guys can address that, I'd appreciate it. Depression in and of itself, no. Like I said, my grandfather did suffer from depression, but though you know he had lived a full life. He was at a point where he didn't feel he could do anything more. I think if he was, you know, if he hadn't had his depression issues, he might have been ready to try and, you know, live a little longer. So in his case, I definitely think depression played a role in the timing. But all in all, he had lived a full life. His body was starting to shut down on him, and he didn't want to put up with it anymore. So for me, depression in and of itself should not be the reason, because everyone gets depressed. But oh. if those other factors and such... Okay, what but, about chronic you know, depression? What, what let about me, belief? Let me, oh. let me ask this. When you get to a point where, if you get depressed to a point where your life has no value for you any longer, and you don't see a way out of it, you can't see a way out of it, even if everybody else is telling you that uh, you're just depressed and it's, you know, you just need to pull yourself out of it, get medicated, get happy, get yoga, get something. But if you can't see a way out of it and your life no longer has a value to you, I think it's entirely. I think it's entirely an acceptable choice. But I've been there, honestly. I've been at that level. I, I remember back in eighth grade was like one of the worst years for me. I was there. I didn't feel my life had any purpose. I, I, honestly, it was a horrible year for me. I was the worst state possible, and I'm not sure what pulled me through it. But I, you know, I will admit I, you know, that, that I was contemplating suicide at that time. Yeah, I, I was really that low. And I think that's part of the problem with depression in and of itself being it is, especially as a teenager, you hit those lows. I can think of a few other times where, yeah. You know, I think that anybody who is looking at, I think anybody who's looking at assisted suicide should be above, you know, above the age of 18, or I would actually say probably above the age of 25, because there's a lot of changes that happen between 18 and 25 to the brain. Do we have a right to say that somebody has to live? Hmm? Do, do we have the right to say that somebody has to live, that they, that they don't have no, the right to suicide? we shouldn't have that right. The state shouldn't have that right either. And one of the questions in here is... But that's currently how it is. Yeah. Yeah, one of the questions in here is, do you own your body or does the state own your body? Because you you have a right to life, but... Do you have a right to death? I would argue that you do. I mean, again, I don't know that it's reflected in our in the rights that we currently have. But And I think it comes to that bigger question that we, especially as Americans, um, I really don't know about other places in the world, but we seem to want to think that it's not going to happen to everybody. This is, everybody is going to die. Yes. So the question is how you go. In well, some I think everybody should have the have right to. In some kind you don't. I, I think everybody should have the right to die by the manner of their choosing. But you're saying, you're, but you want to put an age limit on it. You want to say they have to be above the age of 18. Uh, I, I, I want to idealistically say that the person should be mentally well, an adult when they make the decision, but realistically, if they're going to take themselves out, they're going to take themselves out. 
but uh, yeah, if, if you're going to make it into a um, process, it doesn't need to be, you know, you need to prove you are doing more than just um, reacting to uh, childhood hormones. You know, yeah. my, my cousin, uh, when she was, boy, she was in her teens. I, I couldn't, I don't I, I she even 16? She might have been 16. Tried to commit suicide. And uh, she took a bottle of Advil. And in her okay. case, um, I, I really believe that it was a, a cry for help at that time. She, she, I mean, she definitely needed something that she wasn't getting. Um, and she lived through it. She got the help she needed. And now, you know, and, you know, now she's a fairly, you know, normal, you know, as normal as any of us. Not a high bar at this place. Not, yeah, not a high bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. As normal as any Republican, I should say. Oh. <laughs> ooh, ooh, burn. I shall, I don't, I don't. You know, uh, one of the issues that is at the core of this is we've got very, very different competing ideologies as to what makes what makes a person a person and what makes what makes that life valuable. The uh, the the religious right, the Christian ideology, says that the soul enters the body at the moment of conception and that it leaves the body at the moment of death, whereas there are other viewpoints that say that there is no consciousness soul? is what makes well yeah consciousness it what is what makes the person whether there's whether there's a soul or whether there is not a soul and you know we can't really quantify whether there is one or not the consciousness is what makes the person and if the person is uh, as in the as in the Terry as in the Terry Schiavo case they discovered in autopsy that her brain was severely severely degraded and that it had not been capable of functioning for a long time. Um, it was it was reduced incredibly in size, which is the sort of thing that happens with massive neuron death. So, her case is uh, certainly unique as far as public exposure goes, um, because well, it was, as far as public exposure goes. Although the Terry Schiavo case that we looked at, uh, the the link we looked at for the Terry Schiavo case did reference another very similar case that didn't get quite the publicity. I'm sure that there's plenty of them out there. Um, I just don't think that they've been publicized very much, I think is my point. Um, and certainly I think we learned something from that case. I mean, because we had people all over the world, you know, um, and, 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 uh, and even people in our Senate who uh, felt qualified to make Up an opinion to on the this. office of the president. Yeah. Up to the office of the president, because Bush stepped in at both Jeb Bush in Florida and uh, George W. Bush in the uh, in the White House stepped in and tried to keep this poor woman alive as a political football. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing that really got messed up. Right, but that. even people like Russ Feingold would look, you know, were were you know looking at you know her on video from you know miles away and going, oh, you know, oh, it looks fine to me. It's like really, so. So yeah, so everybody had an opinion on that case, for sure, mm-hmm. and 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 then once the autopsy was done, I think that it would be hard to say that you know there was any there was any reason to keep that person alive. Yeah, maybe somebody would tell me but I'm it wrong. Really, it, it, I remember that one really kind of got me moving on. You know, I have a living will. I have it very expressly stipulated when I want to be kept alive and when I don't. And, you know, I, I think all of this comes down to that personal choice kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm very strongly in favor of it's your body, it's your life, you get to do with it as you want. Um, you know, in cases like the Terry Shavo case, you had the husband basically saying, you know, she didn't want this to happen to her. 
But she didn't and have any kind of legal friends testifying doctor. to that effect. Right. No, but he right. had friends who had heard her say this, say that, testify in his favor. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have any legal. But what document. I'm saying is, yeah. Well, and even if you have the legal documents, it's a it's a very fraught battle. Like Ian's story, why couldn't his grandfather have gone peacefully all at once? Been shut down in a, a, a respectful, deliberate way. We can't. We, we've got this weird hang-up where we're like, well, you know, we have to let... Like, in, in the Terry Schiavo case, she eventually died of starvation, right? We, yeah, like, was they, the they official cause the, of death. They took, out the, they took out the feeding tube. Right. But Why? They, Why they left the cause of death just... undetermined because of the brain injury. I guess what I'm saying is, why do we have to pussyfoot around this kind of stuff? Why not give her an overdose are... of medication? Okay, and that gets into terrified of death in this country. Okay, uh, I, that's that that gets into the issue of physician assisted suicide, and uh, are we and ready to go there? Talk about, yeah, I had. We're going to talk about physician assisted suicide. We got to talk about Jack. I I had a couple of other um, questions that I wanted to go over first. Um, All right. For reasons that okay, so how about is age a reason? Yes, age. When in you and say of is itself, it a reason? No. Well, is it a, what, do you, what do you mean by is well, it a okay. reason? Well, uh, okay. Yeah, I guess. It should be a factor. Uh, not necessarily a reason, but it should be a factor. Okay. You know, we were talking about uh, some of the stuff, like I said, depression in and of itself should not be the defining moment. But you had depression, you had AIDS, like my grandfather, you know, he was up in his 90s, his body was falling apart. He, you know, he, he honestly, if he wanted to, I, I would have given him another decade. But, you know, he was at a point where he was old enough, he'd lived his life. He wasn't going to get any better. He didn't feel he was going to contribute anymore to anything. He had, you know, he, he'd long since had kids. He's not going to have any more. You know, he was suffering from depression. And, and he, it was like these factors all together, okay. But just be. See, I, I kind of disagree with you on some of that stuff. I mean, I, I don't disagree with his right. I just don't think those are really truly mitigating circumstances for me. I don't think someone's fertility options should enter into whether or not they want to continue to live their right. life. I th- I think, for me, I guess it, it comes down to personal choice. And it's been mentioned here, and, and just to be explicit with it, most people will d- it, who, who decide they're taking their own life will take their own life. It's usually messy. It's usually horrifying for the other people involved. It lacks the dignity that I think we should right. be allowed. And I think that's the most tragic part of this. Somebody who doesn't want to live, it doesn't matter if you agree with their reasons or not. And if they were, if they came to me, I would do everything I could to try to keep them alive and convince them that there's a reason to go on and, and all that good stuff. But ultimately it's their call. I just think that there's a, a real problem in, in our thinking where we're like, all right, you want to die? Justify it. Prove it to me. They, they don't have to. They shouldn't have to. It's, we have our own lives. I, I don't think ever coming up with a set of criteria would make sense. Now, that said, I do think you could put together criteria that says, okay, I understand today you want to die and you want to do it with dignity. Okay. If you're going to get this assistance that you want, there are going to be some rules in here. You know, like I think age right. limits, you know, age of majority certainly makes sense to me. Um, not, again, that this is going to prevent kids from doing what unfortunately they do um you know depression if you're depressed one day and you go into a you know you want to go for instant suicide i do think they should put you on a hey we're going to put a couple of things in place make sure that this is what you really want and if you come out the other end 
And, you know, and I don't know what all the exact things are here, but after a certain amount of counseling, after a certain amount of time thinking about it, if you come back in and say, yeah, I appreciate it, I still want to go, I I think you ultimately get to make the call, not anybody else. For the assisted suicide um, from the Netherlands, it is... uh um some of the rules are um you know the patient has to initiate it uh they have to they have to get a consultation with another physician and there is a certain amount of time that they're supposed to wait before um you know uh, before the physician right. can assist um uh, but there has been some violations of that and uh so so it isn't perfect by any means Hey, Brian, you asked about if age in, is age in and of itself a factor. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of a slippery slope. You know, are you saying that, are you, are you, are you, I don't think you're suggesting, but it almost could lead to, you know, what's the maximum age a person is allowed to live to? And then you've got Logan's run. I think there's a lot you know of fear mongering on exactly that point where people are, are worried that they're, you know, the, the death panel thing, where people are going to be like, oh, someone's choosing right. when uh, they're going to assist my demise. Again, I think if you keep in mind that the, the major factor here is will, it's what I will for myself. Um, and right. if you will to live as long as you can, no matter what machines you're hooked up to or how much pain you got to go through, if one more day is the only thing on your mind, then, then by all means, go for it. Um, well, but, I you always know. love the, the um, defense of, well, you guys are playing God. It's like, well, actually, uh, isn't it playing God the other way around by hooking them up to the machines and keeping them alive? It's to let someone die than it is to force them to live. I think then I think in the minds there there's a difference between playing God and doing God's will. Playing God is deciding when somebody dies, doing God's will is keeping them alive as long as you possibly can. How do you know that's God's will? Well that's I'm, a that's a I'm different not, discussion. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying it's actually God's will. I'm saying that that's what they believe they're doing. Right. So So okay, so what are the arguments against the right to die? No, that it's a that it's a slippery slope. That if you you know, if you let it happen for one thing, pretty soon you're letting it happen for everything. That is one of the what is one of the arguments. I think the slippery slope is right. That that basically the worry is that if we basically say it's okay, um, that we're somehow encouraging it. Kind of like the way supposedly sex education encourages kids to have sex. I don't personally believe that, but I think it's the, the same people who believe that you shouldn't tell a kid about sex because they'll get interested in sex, think that if you tell people that they have a right to die, that they will want to die. Well, you know, we saw the, you know, we brought up the um, death panels thing that's supposed to be part of um, the Obamacare stuff. And people were so afraid that, yeah, if you read it, it says you get to tell your doctor, the, um, you know, you will talk with your doctor and create a living will. In that living will, if it says you will resuscitate no matter what until I am 100% beyond belief dead, you can put that in. You know, you, you can say that they have, you know, spend millions of dollars if it takes to keep me alive. You can put that kind of thing in there. But they were all afraid of the opposite of saying, oh, well, if the doctors are talking to me about it, they're going to force me to die. That's like, he no. will stuff me full of machinery until I am a soulless machine myself. You could you could basically put that you know that's the way it read if that's what you wanted, <laughs> but yet you had the this whole fear that you know and like another one I, of the arguments and this is uh, prevalent in the UK is that the state cannot define 
what makes one life worth less than another. And that's one of the things that they are afraid of in the legal, in the legal part of it, is that if the state is in a, put in a position of defining one, defining one life as being less valuable than another, then it opens the door for all kinds of other things. I guess it's the same slippery slope again from a different angle. Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the um, issues with physician-assisted suicide is the Hippocratic Oath, in that they will do no harm, the idea that they will do nothing that would cause the patient to die. Uh, is this outdated? Is that how you take no harm? Well, okay, then, and that's that's an excellent point. Um, you know, you're defining it as death in and of itself, yet death might actually be less harm. I mean, to me, harm, like that, back to the, my nursing home thing, to me, harm would be trapping someone inside their body like that is doing a lot of harm. It's a lot less harm to let them die. So, so you would argue that in, 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 as far as patient care goes, this really, there might be no better way to care for the patient at that time. So I guess I, one of the issues I would have uh, that I could I would say, well, if physician-assisted suicide is legal, we have a 21-year-old woman that's depressed and wants to end their lives. Should the physician help her? Or is that a different issue entirely now? Um, well, actually, we were talking earlier about you know saying, okay, let's give her a time frame. Say, okay, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about your options. And you know, don't the, one of the main things to be is not to rush into it. Because when we're emotional and we're hitting a hard time, we do stupid things. We aren't thinking clearly. And it's kind of like the same same thing we have with um, gender reassignment. If you want a sex change operation, it's like, okay, come in, we'll, we'll assess you for it, we'll go through it, and we'll make sure this is the right thing for you before you do anything this permanent to yourself. And uh, assisted suicide should probably be along that same lines. Having the process of, okay, you know, we'll start the process, we'll look into it, you tell us, you know, why you make sure that this is what you want because this is permanent. You can't come back from it. And you, you make it a, a process like that where they, they are given time to think. They are given time to really evaluate whether or not this is right for them. You know, if, if we're going to head down that path, it needs to be something along that line. So I think that's a great analogy yeah. because it, it is something that's already in place. Yeah, you walk into a place and say, Doc, I feel like I, I should have been a man. They don't just be like, all right, lay down on the table. Let's see what we can work up here. There's a, a huge amount of protocol, and it's based on yep. study. It's based on outcomes of, of former patients. It's based on psychological studies. There's a whole criteria there. Again, I, I, I certainly am not suggesting there should be suicide booths a la Futurama or something like that. You know, you put in a quarter and it zaps you. But at the same time, I do think that there should be something um, more like a Soylent Green kind of thing where the old man just basically decides, I don't want to go on anymore, and they make it painless and pleasant a situation to die. Of course, they turned him right. into food after oh, yeah. that. I'm not advocating that for okay, yeah, but, but the idea I, Kimberly, that you get I'm, to I'm not eating that. And that's fine. I find that hard to right swallow. Well. <laughs> so, but what about the what about the physically healthy twenty year old? I gotta tell you, I, th Again, this is I where think you put them through the criteria. I think you could come to a, a logical conclusion for that person. Because if she's, if she, uh, what are you gonna say? You pop out a couple of kids first, and then we'll talk about letting you die. I don't think that whether the person had children or not is should be a criteria at all. Well, I guess I it depends that, on whether uh, we're considering that um, to be contraceptive I, or not. My wife and I, my wife and I don't have any kids, and we don't want any kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, but currently Christians, you're evil because that's the whole point of marriage is to have kids and raise kids. Getting married, you know what? what Here, stop right now. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. That that discussion is coming. Different podcast. Yeah, that is for a different podcast. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, so if we, the yeah, we can't say we can't tell the 20 year old they pop out a couple of kids first because now she's got to take care of those kids. But is it birth control if we do that? Maybe a pretty extreme example. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a well, terrible example. And here's a here's a thought too. If a twenty year old wants to end their life, and you're telling them pop out a couple of kids first, and then we'll talk. It, what if they have genetic genetic depression? Yeah, so them having yeah no, I'm kids, just saying. I'm just saying. There's a lot of times. It, it's kind of a separate situation, but like, there's a lot of um, restrictions on a woman's body if she's fertile. Like, you know, like if somebody, like you can't go in and get a hysterectomy. If you're healthy and there's no medical reason for it, you can't opt to have one. You can't because opt. Because the state yeah. no considers elective. your fertility important. Right. Well, you can't do that no with a no, vasectomy I can either. I surgery all day long on other stuff. Well, but a vasectomy is the same way. When you go in for a vasectomy, you know, the, I mean, let, I, I, they might have an age, but the, a lot of times, you know, if you're 20 years old and you say, I just do not want kids and I want a vasectomy, you might not be able to get one. I, I've, I've heard of people having problems with that. And when I went in there, I was fairly young when I got my vasectomy. And, uh, you know, and the doctor, and, and I, I think the doctor, uh, you know, until we told him we had three kids, I don't think he was okay with it. Well, my wife, and right, um, why? Why would that, this, it's your choice. Well, well, I, and I would tend to agree with you on that, but once again, like you're saying, but I'm, I guess my point is, it's not just female, um, fertility at that point. Um, males, uh, male, yeah, it, the right. same thing with males that, uh, you know, uh, if you're, if you're fertile, whether you're fertile or not, you want to, you know, uh, you, they're not going to give you a, just give you a vasectomy. Right, but but what I'm saying, but other optional, non-necessary, medically necessary surgeries are done constantly in this country, but not when they revolve yeah. around fertility. Which I think again is just it's it's odd. It's odd that we don't well, have the same kind of control yeah. over our lives and our bodies that but, you would think we should. But some of it has to do with um, options. You know, if you go and get yourself neutered, you kill these options. And I think, are, are, and I kind of agree with this. Um, saying, listen. Are you really sure that at 20, you're never going to want kids? That 15 years down the road, you're going to say, man, I wish I had a kid. And I, I, I think they do, you know, to look at it and say, listen, maybe you should think about this. Well, Before if I get a sex change, I'm not having kids either. What was that? If I get a sex change, I'm not going to, I can't have kids either. Yeah. But, and, and that's why you go through a process saying, is this the right thing for you? And if I'm dead, I can't and have so, kids either. <laughs> Right, and so stuff like this, with this permanent stuff going on, you know, you're going to make, you're going to do some permanent stuff too that is irreversible. They do need to um, look at certain factors and say, "Listen, you, you're young, you've not had kids. You may think you don't want kids now, but you could change your mind in ten to fifteen years." You know, really think this through before you go do something permanent, just because you know, right now at least you don't, you know, you, you were thinking one way. I get you. I get you with the idea of counseling somebody that way. I think that's very, very smart. Again, people make very rash decisions that they wind up regretting. But this current system does not allow you to say, Doc, I have thought about this. I have passed every test. I've watched every video. I've read every goddamn pamphlet you gave me. I don't want or I want to do this. There's no exception pattern right now. Right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, somebody may regret their decision, but I may regret lots of my decisions. 
I'm a, I'm a human being. I get to do that. That's my right. Right. But and and it's, it is your right not, to make the decision and regret it later. State kind of. Right. But in this nanny state that we've but got, that, apparently yeah. I am not qualified right. to make my own decisions about death. Well, and here's an interesting point. If I get a vasectomy and decide later that I want to have kids, I'm going to regret that. But if I'm 20 years old and I decide opt for suicide because I'm gone it's the people around me that that are that are more likely well that will miss me i'm not going to miss me right so 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 it becomes a much you don't know whether you'll miss you or not well okay nobody's going to miss me but regardless (laughs) so when well no brian i'm saying you don't know whether you'll miss you or not we still don't know whether there's an hour okay there's no There's no evidence, but there's no evidence there's not. Well, okay. But, so. but my point is, is that with suicide, it's, it's, it's harder because the people around that person who commits suicide have to deal with that as opposed to the person who chooses to, you know, to become, um, infertile. And with, with a situation where suicide would be, um, you know, you go through counseling before you make the decision. At least that would also help those around you go through this, go through this as well. Sure. They yeah. may not be happy with it, but at least they won't come, at least they won't be, you know, suddenly shocked to discover. Right. But is it, but is it, should I have to think about the people around me before I have, before I commit suicide versus having a vasectomy? In a perfect world, you should be thinking about the people around you anyway, but yeah. I don't think you should have to think about the people around you. I think that, when it all comes down to it, your right is your right. Just like the people around you have the right to disagree vehemently with your decision, and you know their memories of you are much darker for that reason. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that, uh, but at some point, the, no, these personal choices choice. are personal that, choices. But that would be one thing brought up a process. Of yeah. Going, you know, whatever process you come up with, it's like, okay, have you thought about the people around you? Mm-hmm. Have you talked with them about this? Do, do you know, you know, what their feelings are? Because, you know, to me, that would be, uh, you know, I think, I, I think that was one of the things that helped me when I was young was, you know, when I get that kind of thought in my head is, wait a moment, you know, these people that care about me, there, do I want to do this to them? And that well, was something that d- does stop people from, you know, doing yeah. something like that because, you know, they do think about the effects they have on others. And, you know, everything, especially something like suicide, what you do does affect other people around you. And if you're going to end your life like that, you know, it will affect them. And I do believe that is something that when, if you do a counseling kind of setup, that has to be something addressed. It has to be something that's brought up to them saying, listen, you know, if you're really serious about this, you need to make sure that you are comfortable with what you're going to do to those people around you. And so, like I said, in the case of my grandfather, we had closure. We had a chance, you know, we knew it was what we had been planned and the whole family more or less had a chance to, you know, do what they need and you respected his you respected his decision right you weren't necessarily happy with it but you respected his decision and you got your opportunity to to know his reasons for the decision right and so you know it, it, that was healthy so you know I, I do think there are times where if the person's you know in a certain situation and stuff their family you know although some of it you know from family family I, I actually I've often worried that if my wife were to have an accident that ended up in like the Terry Servo case, that um, her family would be fighting to keep her alive. And yet, I know for a fact, you know, we've talked about it, that she definitely doesn't want to be left like that. Well, and that's where the living will no becomes very important. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I, I definitely could see that splitting her family against me. Yeah. Do yeah. you have, does she have a living will? No. That is one thing we oh. have um, talked about and haven't actually gone through to do yet. All right. But, okay. So do we have any final points to make here? Because I, I, I want to move on to something else to wrap up the right. podcast. Go ahead, Kimberly. Make your I, I final point. I don't want to go on. No. Sorry. Uh, I, let's give everybody a chance to make their final points here. Can we do that? Okay. Yeah, well, sure. right, well, I, I think I've start. expressed myself quite well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to, you know, you, you've heard my argument. You know exactly where I stand. I don't think I need to say anything more. Okay. Kimberly? Um, like I said, for me, this comes down to a, a dignity thing and a choice thing. I, I really do believe that in the end, we should all have our own choices, and I don't think it should be dictated by the state. Um, I think a lot of it comes out of this fear of death, and we, if we have the conversation more, I think that would alleviate some of the fears here. But I also want to say, I walk every year for the Out of the Darkness program, which is a teen suicide prevention thing. I mean, I don't want to lose anybody to suicide at all, but I do think that there are sometimes some very compelling reasons why people might be done. And I, I think, again, unfortunately, they're going to do them, and I'd rather see them do them with dignity and in a controlled situation in which help is offered and everything is tried, and then, and then the person gets to make ultimately their own choices. All right. Mac? I don't think we can leave this without talking about Jack. Okay, go ahead and check. That, that's fine. Jack Kevorkian. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, Jack Kevorkian, a.k.a. Dr. Death. Uh, essentially, his pretty much his entire career was spent from medical school on in campaigning for people's right to take, right to end their lives when they're ready to end their lives. Um, he built machines, and he uh, he claimed to have assisted about 300, 300 patients to suicide during his career before he passed away. He passed away last year, in fact, of kidney failure. So, yeah. So the, I mean, uh, certainly go, he was out there doing did go it. To, did go to prison for did go to prison for one of his assisted suicides. They uh, they actually wrote hasty legislation in one of the places. Uh, he, he started in Michigan. They. They couldn't actually convict him of anything because they didn't have a law against it, but they took away his medical license to practice in Michigan. And they ended up, uh, I think they ended up writing some hasty legislation to make sure that he couldn't do it anymore. So. So, uh, give me your final thoughts here. My final thoughts? Please. Just, I'm kind of in the same, I'm kind of in the same boat with Kimberly on this. I think it's a choice thing. I don't think that anybody should interfere with my right to do what I need to with my body. All right. I, I, I don't what about think, you, Brian? Do yeah, you got anything? I do. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of compare it. You, you know how when you, when you work with somebody who you know just doesn't want to be working there and that they can make everybody else's life miserable? And if, to me, the, uh, this kind of comes down to the same kind of thing. If there's somebody who really doesn't want to be here and, and wants to commit suicide... That may be the best thing for everybody. And so I, I, and I definitely agree with, you know, the, the ideas that we live in a nanny state and, you know, we, and there's too much control over people's individual rights. Uh, I tend to agree with that. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the side of, uh, assisted suicide. And I think even for the 20 year old who has, who has thought through this and decided, I just don't want to do this. So I'm, I'm okay with that. 
So we're going to find something cheerful yeah. to talk about. We are. We're going to talk about nanofibers. We're going to let Kimberly do her article. <laughs> hey, you got your news in my science. You got your science in my news. It's science news. Okay, so uh, so this is our science section. Um, yes. Yeah, I found an article in Science Daily talking about recharge your cell phone with a touch. New nanotechnology converts body heat into power. This is another one of these far too early to actually go out and buy it, but um, some really interesting ideas about basically the way heat transfers and um, using that, the, the part of it, our body heat um, versus cold temperatures and basically creating an electric current from there that can be used. So you'd basically, they're, they're saying they don't quite have it yet, but um, they would make this fabric that would do this electrical uh, conversion of heat, wasted heat, into electricity. Um, and they said, you know, with the right layering and the right development of this kind of thing, you would basically be able to charge your your MP3 player while you were jogging on a cold day because of the temperature well, of your body better than, cold outside. Better than that, with the right chest logo, you become Electric Eel Man and you're a superhero. <laughs> I, I, I don't think tasers what, what I read was that they have the technology is just so expensive to produce that it's not practical. You know, it reminds me of some other technologies like um, charging iPods off of jiggling breasts. Uh, that was the one that I read. Um, uh, there, you know, of course, the watches that, that charge basically from, from kinetic movement. Uh, there, there's all sorts of these kinds of, uh, of innovative technologies out there. Well, it makes sense, though, if you think about it. There, there is a lot of wasted energy. Yeah, and they, they made some really interesting points in this article about, um, you know, using the heat from the exhaust to power other electronics inside the car. So, once again, an even more, um, uh, another technology that would make things even more fuel efficient. Anything more on nanofibers? Nope, they're cool. They're cool. <laughs> it's a technology that makes sense. All right. Uh, let's, let, let's talk about all Mormons are gay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a site I found, uh, through, uh, Dan Savage, who I, I just absolutely adore. Um, he's not the one who created it, he just, he just posted a blog about it. And basically, um, it's a, just a funny site. Uh, I think everybody probably has heard about how the Mormons, um, as part of their services, do this whole thing where they take deceased people and they do this, um, I, I guess it's a ceremony in which, in which uh, a Mormon, um, takes the place of, by proxy of the, of the deceased person and they indoctrinate them into Mormonism. They claim that they're not doing anything wrong because the person still in the afterlife has to choose to accept being a Mormon. Um, but they do this all the time. They've pissed off a lot of people with it. Well, um, cause they were doing a lot of people apparently from the Holocaust. Yeah, they did a lot um, of Jews. And, um, Col Stephen Colbert. Um, went and converted all the dead Mormons to Jews by ritualistically circumcising them. <laughs> That's right. With, with a hot yeah. yeah. Well, this, this one is now is now making all uh, dead Mormons um, retroactively gay. And so you go to the site and you can either type in the name of a dead Mormon and it will convert them to gay, or um, it even has a choose a Mormon button, which is fabulous. Um, and and it, it does have a. a go ahead. Okay, um, Mitt Romney, apparently his father-in-law was very much against 
um, the church, but he was able, Mitt was able to convince the whole rest of the family to convert all but his father-in-law. So after his father-in-law died, apparently they went and got him baptized. And so Bill Maher went on his show and um, went and canceled that out by giving a little ceremony himself. And so, wearing a stupid hat. <laughs> so wait, there's a wait, lot of was Mitt joy. Romney's was Mitt Romney's father Mormon? Uh, no, he uh, his father-in-law was atheist. He, he was an atheist, and he was against the Mormon Church. The whole rest of the family had gotten converted, but he was very much no, no, no. That's not okay for me. Yeah, he was he was very much an out He's atheist. Yeah, Romney's not a Mormon. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Is he a Mormon? Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? Okay. <laughs> Romney, yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's kind of his whole thing. Yeah, that's his whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, all dead Mormons are now gay.com. Go there, convert a few Mormons, make them homosexuals on their planet, wherever the hell they're living or whatever. Um, I think it does that, say that there I are no that, take backs. I think they're all gay now because I did Joseph Smith. Oh, so it's a retroactive down. I yeah, bet you're I, not I the only one who's done Joseph Smith. I bet his name, I bet if there's a database keeping track of this, I bet his name comes up most often. Okay. And I, and and I'll tell you this: I don't think they needed the the website to do it. I, I think he might have already. I'm, I'm just saying, I wasn't there. Nice. But anyway, I just thought it was a very funny site. Again, they have such a ridiculous system, and um, you know, I I, I think again, it's pretty offensive that they think that they should go around converting dead people, and so this is just a funny way of poking fun at it. Yeah, and actually, that's the thing. Everyone's kind of on that bandwagon right now. Yeah. So it's. I uh, see now. Now I'm picturing zombies shambling along in those those button down short sleeve shirts and, and pushing bicycles with backpacks. <laughs> anyway, so it was a it was a funny sight, and uh, there are no takes backs, and so yeah. And uh, you know, no, I I think I think it's unfair to make them just gay though. We should be making the we should just be ta- well, making the sure they're not monosexuals. The Jewish homosexuals. Well, because but Gobert turned them all Jew. Is, isn't the biggest problem just monosexual though? No takers. Want to make them all bi? I want to make them all bi. Yeah. <laughs> is that okay? Well, I, I guess you can start a new site. I, I'm gonna have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> make stop monosexuality. Dot com. <laughs> Up with omnisexuality. Oh, yeah, omnisexuals. Omnisexual sex with anything. I thought, hmm? I thought that was trisexuals. I thought that was trisexuals. Try anything for sex. No. No. Omnisexuals is. You know, have we devolved far enough? Have we devolved far enough? Yeah. I think we've I think devolved so. pretty far enough. And, and I think we've left this on on, a, on at least enough of an upbeat note. Sounds good. All right. Say good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and 
podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 